Chapter Seven of the Wrecker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Wrecker by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter Seven: Irons in the Fire, Part Two. And now behold the honorary steward in hour of duty and glory. See me circulate amid crowd, radiating affability and laughter liberal with my sweetmeats and cigars. I say unblushing things to hobbledehoy girls, tell shy young persons this is the married people's boat, roguishly ask the abstracted if they are thinking of their sweethearts, offer paterfamilias a cigar, am struck with the beauty and grow curious about the age of mamma's youngest who, I assure her gaily, will be a man before his mother, or perhaps it may occur to me, from the sensible expression of her face, that she is a person of good counsel, and I ask her earnestly if she knows any particularly pleasant place on the Sausalito or San Rafael coast, for the scene of our picnic is always supposed to be uncertain. The next moment I am back at my giddy badinage with the young ladies, wakening laughter as I go, and leaving in my wake applausive comments of isn't Mr. Dodd a funny gentleman, and oh, I think he's just too nice. An hour having passed in this airy manner, I start upon my rounds afresh, with a bag full of colored tickets, all with pins attached, and all with legible inscriptions, Old Germany, California, True Love, Old Fogies, La Belle France, Green Erin, The Land of Cakes, Washington, Blue Jay, Robin Redbreast, twenty of each denomination, for when it comes to the luncheon we sit down by twenties these are distributed with anxious tact for indeed this is the most delicate part of my functions but outwardly with reckless unconcern amidst the gayest flutter and confusion and are immediately after sorted upon hats and bonnets to the extreme diffusion of cordiality total strangers hailing each other by the number of their mess so we humorously name it and the deck ringing with cries of here all blue jays to the rescue or i say am i alone in this blame ship ain't there no more californians by this time we are drawing near to the appointed spot. I mount upon the bridge, the observed of all observers. Captain, I say, in clear emphatic tones, heard far and wide, the majority of the company appear to be in favor of the little cove beyond one tree point. All right, Mr. Dodd, responds the captain heartily. All one to me. I'm not exactly sure of the place you mean, but just you stay here and pilot me. I do, pointing with my wand. I do pilot him to the inexpressible entertainment of the picnic for i am why should i deny it the popular man we slow down off the mouth of a grassy valley watered by a brook and set in pines and redwoods the anchor is let go the boats are lowered two of them already packed with the materials of an impromptu bar and the pioneer band accompanied by the resplendent asses fill the other and move shoreward to the inviting strains of buffalo gals won't you come out tonight it is a part of our program that one of the asses shall from sheer clumsiness in the course of this embarkation drop a dummy axe into the water whereupon the mirth of the picnic can hardly be assuaged upon one occasion the dummy axe floated and the laugh turned rather the wrong way in from ten to twenty minutes the boats are alongside again the messes are marshalled separately on the deck and the picnic goes ashore to find the band and the impromptu bar awaiting them then come the hampers which are piled upon the beach and surrounded by a stern guard of stalwart asses axe on shoulder it is here i take my place notebook in hand under a banner bearing the legend come here for hampers 
each hamper contains a complete outfit for a separate twenty cold provender plates glasses knives forks and spoons an agonized printed appeal from the fevered pen of pinkerton pasted on the inside of the lid beseeches that care be taken of the glass and silver beer wine and lemonade are flowing already from the bar and the various clans of twenty file away into the woods with bottles under their arms and the hamper strung upon a stick till one they feast there in a moderate seclusion all being within earshot of the band from one till four dancing takes place upon the grass the bar does a roaring business and the honorary steward who has already exhausted himself to bring life into the dullest of the messes must now indefatigably dance with the plainest of women at four a bugle call is sounded and by half past behold us on board again pioneers corrugated iron bar empty bottles and all while the honorary steward free at last subsides into the captain's cabin over a brandy and soda and a book free at last i say yet there remains before him the frantic leave-takings at the pier and a sober journey up to pinkerton's office with two policemen and the day's takings in a bag what i have here sketched was the routine but we appealed to the taste of san francisco more distinctly in particular fates ye old-time picnic largely advertising handbills beginning oyez oyez and largely frequented by knights monks and cavaliers was drowned out by unseasonable rain and returned to the city one of the saddest spectacles i ever remember to have witnessed in pleasing contrast and certainly our chief success was the gathering of the clans or scottish picnic so many milk-white knees were never before simultaneously exhibited in public and to judge by the prevalence of royal stuart and the number of eagles feathers we were a high-born company I threw forward the Scottish flank of my own ancestry, and passed muster as a clansman with applause. There was, indeed, but one small cloud on this red-letter day. I had laid in a large supply of the national beverage, in the shape of the Rob Roy MacGregor O'Blend, warranted old and vatted, and this must certainly have been a generous spirit, for I had some anxious work between four and half-past, conveying on board the inanimate forms of chieftains to one of our ordinary festivities where he was the life and soul of his own mess pinkerton himself came incognito bringing the algebraist on his arm miss mamie proved to be a well-enough-looking mouse with a large limpid eye very good manners and a flow of the most correct expressions i have ever heard upon the human lip as pinkerton's incognito was strict i had little opportunity to cultivate the lady's acquaintance but i was informed afterwards that she considered me the wittiest gentleman she had ever met the lord mend your taste and wit thought i but i cannot conceal that such was the general impression one of my pleasantries even went the round of san francisco and i have heard it myself all unknown bandied in saloons to be unknown began at last to be a rare experience a bustle woke upon my passage above all in humble neighbourhoods who's that one would ask and the other would cry why that why dromedary dodd or with withering scorn not know mr dodd of the picnics well and indeed i think it marked a rather barren destiny for our picnics if a trifle vulgar were as gay and innocent as the age of gold i am sure no people divert themselves so easily and so well and even with the cares of my stewardship i was often happy to be there indeed there were but two drawbacks in the least considerable the first was my terror of the hobbledehoy girls to whom from the demands of my situation i was obliged to lay myself so open the other if less momentous was more mortifying in early days at my mother's knee as a man may say i had acquired the unenviable accomplishment which i have never since been able to lose of singing just before the battle i have what the french call a fillet of a voice my best notes scarce audible about a dinner-table and the upper register rather to be regarded as a higher power of silence experts tell me besides that i sing flat 
nor if i were the best singer in the world does just before the battle occur to my mature taste as the song that i would choose to sing in spite of all which considerations at one picnic memorably dull and after i had exhausted every other art of pleasing i gave in desperation my one song from that hour my doom was gone forth either we had a chronic passenger though i could never detect him or the very wooden iron of the steamer must have retained the tradition at every successive picnic word went round that mr dodd was a singer that mr dodd sang just before the battle and finally that now was the time when mr dodd sang just before the battle so that thing became a fixture like the dropping of the dummy axe and you are to conceive me sunday after sunday piping up my lamentable ditty and covered when it was done with gratuitous applause it is a beautiful trait in human nature that i was invariably offered an encore i was well paid however even to sing pinkerton and i after an average sunday had five hundred dollars to divide nay and the picnics were means although indirectly of bringing me a singular windfall this was at the end of the season after the grand farewell fancy dress gala many of the hampers had suffered severely and it was just wiser to save storage dispose of them and lay in a fresh stock when the campaign reopened among my purchasers was a working man of the name of speedy to whose house after several unavailing letters i must proceed in person wondering to find myself once again on the wrong side and playing the creditor to someone else's debtor speedy was in the belligerent stage of fear he could not pay it appeared he had already resold the hampers and he defied me to do my worst i did not like to lose my own money i hated to lose pinkerton's and the bearing of my creditor incensed me do you know mr speedy that i can send you to the penitentiary i said willing to read him a lesson the dire expression was overheard in the next room a large fresh motherly irish woman ran forth upon the instant and fell to besiege me with caresses and appeals sure now and you can have the heart to do it mr dodd you that's so well known to be a pleasant gentleman and it's a pleasant face you have and the picture of me own brother that's dead and gone it's a truth that he's been drinking you can smell it off of him more to blame him but indeed there's nothing in the house beyond the furniture and thim stock it's the stock that you'll be taking dear a sore penny it has cost me first and last by all tales not worth an old tobacco pipe thus adjured and somewhat embarrassed by the stern attitude i had adopted i suffered myself to be invested with a considerable quantity of what is called wild-cat stock in which this excellent if illogical female had been squandering her hard-earned gold it could scarce be said to better my position but the step quieted the woman and on the other hand i could not think i was taking much risk for the shares in question they were those of what i will call the catamount silver mine had fallen some time before to the bedrock quotation and now lay perfectly inert or were only kicked like other waste paper about the kennel of the exchange by bankrupt speculators a month or two after i perceived by the stock list that the catamount had taken a bound before afternoon thim stock were worth quite a considerable pot of money and i learned upon inquiry that a bonanza had been found in a condemned lead and the mind was now expected to do wonders remarkable to philosophers how bonanzas are found in condemned leads and how the stock is always at freezing point immediately before by some stroke of chance the speedies had held on to the right thing they had escaped the syndicate yet a little more if i had not come to dun them and mrs speedy would have been buying a silk dress i could not bear of course to profit by the accident and return to offer restitution the house was in a bustle the neighbors all stock gamblers themselves had crowded to condole and mrs speedy sat with streaming tears the centre of a sympathetic group 
for fifteen year i been at it she was lamenting as i entered and grudging the babes the very milk more shame to me to pay their dirty assessments and now my dears i should be a lady and driving in my coach if all had their rights and a sorrow on that man dodd as soon as i set eyes on him i seen the devil was in the house it was upon these words that i made my entrance which was therefore dramatic enough though nothing to what followed for when it appeared that i was come to restore the lost fortune and when mrs speedy after copiously weeping on my bosom had refused the restitution and when mr speedy summoned to that end from a camp of the grand army of the republic had added his refusal and when i had insisted and they had insisted and the neighbors had applauded and supported each of us in turn and when at last it was agreed we were to hold the stock together and share the proceeds in three parts one for me one for mr speedy and one for his spouse i will leave you to conceive the enthusiasm that reigned in that small bare apartment with the sewing-machine in one corner and the babes asleep in the other and the pictures of garfield and the battle of gettysburg on the yellow walls port wine was had in by a sympathizer and we drank it mingled with tears and i drink to your health my dear sobbed mrs speedy especially affected by my gallantry in the matter of the third share and i'm sure we all drink to his health mr dodd of the picnics no gentleman better known than him and it's my prayer dear the good god may be long spared to see ye in health and happiness in the end i was the chief gainer for i sold my third while it was worth five thousand dollars but the speedies more adventurously held on until the syndicate reversed the process when they were happy to escape with perhaps a quarter of that sum it was just as well for the bulk of the money was in pinkerton's phrase reinvested and when i next saw mrs speedy she was still gorgeously dressed from the proceeds of that late success but was already moist with tears over the new catastrophe we're froze out me darlin all the money we had dear and the sewing machine and jim's uniform was in the golden west and the vipers has put on a new assessment by the end of the year therefore this is how i stood i had made by catamount silver mine five thousand dollars by the picnics three thousand dollars by the lecture six hundred dollars by profit and loss on capital in pinkerton's business one thousand three hundred fifty dollars totaling nine thousand nine hundred fifty dollars to which must be added what remains of my grandfather's donation eight thousand five hundred dollars totaling eighteen thousand four hundred fifty dollars it appears on the other hand that i had spent four thousand dollars which thus left me to the good fourteen thousand four hundred fifty dollars as a result on which i am not ashamed to say i looked with gratitude and pride some eight thousand being late conquest was liquid and actually tractile in the bank the rest whirled beyond reach and even sight save in the mirror of a balance sheet under the compelling spell of wizard pinkerton dollars of mine were tacking off the shores of mexico in peril of the deep and the guardacostas they rang on saloon counters in the city of tombstone arizona they shone in faro tents among the mountain diggings the imagination flagged in following them so wide were they diffused so briskly they spanned to the turning of the wizard's crank but here there or everywhere i could still tell myself it was all mine and what was more convincing draw substantial dividends my fortune i called it and it represented when expressed in dollars or even british pounds an honest pot of money when extended into francs a veritable fortune perhaps i have let the cat out of the bag perhaps you see already where my hopes were pointing and begin to blame my inconsistency but i must first tell you my excuse and the change that had befallen pinkerton about a week after the picnic to which he escorted mamie pinkerton avowed the state of his affections from what i had observed on board the steamer where methought mamie waited on him with her limpid eyes i encouraged the bashful lover to proceed and the very next evening he was carrying me to call on his affianced 
"'You must befriend her, Loudon, as you have always befriended me,' he said pathetically. "'By saying disagreeable things?' "'I doubt if that be the way to a young lady's favor. I replied, and since, and since this picnicking I begin to be a man of some experience.' "'Yes, you do nobly there. I can't describe how I admire you,' he cried. "'Not that she will ever need it. She has every advantage. God knows what I have done to deserve her. Oh, man, what a responsibility this is for a rough fellow, and not always truthful.' "'Brace up, old man, brace up,' I said I. But when we reached Mamie's boarding-house, it was almost with tears that he presented me. "'Here is Loudon, Mamie,' were his words. "'I want you to love him. He has a grand nature.' "'You are certainly no stranger to me, Mr. Dodd,' was her gracious expression. "'James is never weary of discanting on your goodness.' "'My dear lady,' said I, "'when you know our friend a little better, you will make a large allowance for his warm heart. My goodness has consisted in allowing him to feed and clothe and toil for me when he could ill afford it. If I am now alive, it is to him I owe it. No man had a kinder friend. You must take good care of him,' I added, laying my hand on his shoulder, "'and keep him in good order, for he needs it.' Pinkerton was much affected by this speech, and so I fear was Mamie. I admit it was a tactless performance. When you know our friend a little better, was not happily said, and even keep him in good order for he needs it, might be construed into matter of offence. But I lay it before you in all confidence of your acquittal. Was the general tone of it patronizing? Even if such was the verdict of the lady, I cannot but suppose the blame was neither wholly hers nor wholly mine. I cannot but suppose that Pinkerton had already sickened the poor woman of my very name, so that if I had come with the songs of Apollo, she must still have been disgusted. Here, however, were two finger-posts to Paris. Jim was going to be married, and so had the less need of my society. I had not pleased his bride, and so was, perhaps, better absent. Late one evening I broached the idea to my friend. It had been a great day for me. I had just banked my five thousand catamountain dollars, and as Jim had refused to lay a finger on the stock, risk and profit were both wholly mine, and I was celebrating the event with stout and crackers. I began by telling him that if it caused him any pain or any anxiety about his affairs, he had but to say the word, and he should hear no more of my proposal. He was the truest and best friend I ever had or was ever like to have, and it would be a strange thing if I refused him any favor he was sure he wanted. At the same time I wished him to be sure, for my life was wasting in my hands. I was like one from home. All my true interests summoned me away. I must remind him, besides, that he was now about to marry and assume new interests, and that our extreme familiarity might be even painful to his wife. "'Oh, no, Loudon, I feel you are wrong there,' he interjected warmly. "'She does appreciate your nature.' "'So much the better, then,' I continued, and went on to point out that our separation need not be for long, that in the way affairs were going he might join me in two years with a fortune, small indeed for the States, but in France almost conspicuous, that we might not that we might unite our resources and have one house in paris for the winter and a second near fontainebleau for the summer where we could be as happy as the day was long and bring up little pinkertons as practical artistic workmen far from the money-hunger of the west let me go then i concluded not as a deserter but as the vanguard to lead the march of the pinkerton men so i argued and pleaded not without emotion my friend sitting opposite resting his chin upon his hand and but for that single interjection silent "'I have been looking for this, Loudon,' said he, when I had done. "'It does pain me, and that's the fact. I'm so miserably selfish. "'And I believe it's a death-blow to the picnics, "'for it's idle to deny that you are the heart and soul of them "'with your wand and your gallant bearing, "'and wit and humor and chivalry, "'and throwing that kind of society atmosphere about the thing. "'But for all that you're right, and you ought to go. "'You may count on forty dollars a week, "'and if Depew City, one of nature's centers for this state, "'pan out the least as I expect, it may be double.' 
but it's forty dollars anyway and to think the two years ago you were almost reduced to beggary i was reduced to it said i well the brutes gave you nothing and i'm glad of it now cried jim it's the triumphant return i glory in think of the master and that cold-blooded miner too yes just let the depew city boom get on its legs and you shall go and two years later day for day i'll shake hands with you in paris with mamie on my arm god bless her we talked in this vein far into the night i was myself so exultant in my new-found liberty and pinkerton so proud of my triumph so happy in my happiness in so warm a glow about the gallant little woman of his choice and the very room so filled with castles in the air and cottages at fontainebleau that it was little wonder if sleep fled our eyelids and three had followed too upon the office clock before pinkerton unfolded the mechanism of his patent sofa End of chapter seven part two